welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and this episode was recorded by me in Seoul on Friday, February 7, 2020. My guest today is German photographer and author Thomas Bilhardt. He was born in 1937 near the border with Czechoslovakia in the city of Chemnitz, which from 1953 to 1990 was known as Karl Marxstadt, as the name would suggest this was an East German city, and Thomas Bilhardt was an East German photographer famous for his photos of the Vietnam War, but also pictures taken in Palestine and Nicaragua. He joins me today via Skype from his home on the outskirts of Berlin. Thank you very much for joining me, Herr Bilhardt. You are here today because in July 1989 you joined the East German delegation to Pyongyang's World Youth and Student Festival. This festival is a historic event that I have been quite interested in for a long time, and last year we uh, produced several podcast episodes in which we interviewed people who went to that festival. Uh, how was it that you came to be a member of that delegation? I was a student at the Academy of Arts in Leipzig and was very dissatisfied with that education, with the theoretical education, and I asked my professor, could I combine this with practice? He recommended that I go to the Central Council of the Free German Youth, East Germany's Youth Association, and that's what I did. Because of that, through the youth movement, I got assignments to cover culture in the GDR and worked with newspapers and youth media as a student. That's how I had a connection with this youth organization. Because my photos were well appreciated and became known through newspapers, they had me join a delegation to Cuba in 1961 together with a writer and a poet. There, I experienced for the first time, uh, my eyes were opened. Until then, I had been very apolitical. Until then, my thoughts had always been to escape from East Germany, like all my friends and all my classmates, all of whom escaped to the West after their studies or during that time. So I also wanted to do that. But in Cuba, I experienced revolution. I saw the literacy programs. I, I felt the excitement. I wasn't in the party. I was not married. So when I returned to East Germany behind that wall, I had freedom. They were looking for photographers who should and could travel around the world. So I got this opportunity that most people in the GDR did not get to travel the world. Usually, I could never have seen the world and could never have taken such photos if I hadn't. There was my luck or just chance. This way I could travel. The Free German Youth Organization, of course, stayed loyal to me. They sent me to the Soviet Union for two months and to the Far East. I experienced Siberia during exciting times. Uh, life was exhilarating, and of course I also could see that not everything in the West was golden, so I could see the contradictions. But most of all, I experienced Vietnam, the Vietnam War. I was there in 1967 when a group of documentary filmmakers from the GDR interviewed imprisoned American pilots. If I can fast forward here to uh, 1989, so at that time, uh, was this your first World Festival of Youth and Students that you attended, or had you been to previous ones before? No, all the other festivals, for example, in Sofia, the festival in the GDR, the big festival in Moscow. Of course, I was always there and was taking pictures because that was a youth topic. Ah, now, I understand you had traveled a lot as a young man. Had you been to North Korea before or was this your first trip to the North? Yes, this was the first time. Ah. Now, it was a very large delegation from East Germany. I understand about 850 people. Uh, that's quite large. What kind of... Uh, people joined it. They were teenagers from the Free German Youth, of course, also officials from this association. 
and it was of course a great honor and a big adventure for everyone who joined. They were definitely selected, accomplished members of the Free German Youth and athletes as well and artists. So it was a broad range of East German youth. This was only a short time uh, before the Berlin Wall opened, which started the big changes in the former East Germany. How was the mood in the delegation at the start of this trip? Was it a, a unified group of people? Of course, they were selected youth, uh, but the mood was heavy with many questions and restlessness and curiosity. But the difference to other festivals was with other festivals, there was true excitement at the Berlin Festival, or also in Moscow, even though big changes were also happening in Moscow. But the overall picture of the delegates was happy and optimistic. But during this trip to North Korea, there were many critical voices. Was there a, a particular solidarity that was felt with the people of North Korea because both Korea and Germany were countries divided by the Cold War? That happened quite differently than what you're suggesting. We came with curiosity, and including myself personally, with a curiosity for a similar situation of division like ours. We were also receiving accounts from the West, the youth as well, and they described how awful it was in North Korea, their communism. And of course, one rejected that and said, it can't be that bad, uh, that's propaganda. When we arrived, uh, from the first moment, we were all, literally all, shocked. Everything was fake. It wasn't what we had experienced at other festivals, where people were happy, and these festivals also had elements of fun and political ambition and hope. But there we arrived and pretty much saw the worst of what one could consider communism. The incredible, one could say, religious fervor that wasn't just, there wasn't just politics, there was fanaticism. I, I cannot, even today I'm struggling to describe it. I still cannot describe today what we saw there, we, what one can do to people. Uh, so you, you mentioned that you are a member of the Free German Youth, the uh, Socialist East Germany's uh, Youth League. And uh, I believe that you were even greeted at the airport on your way to North Korea by Margot Honecker, the wife of the then leader of East Germany, Eddie Honecker. What did she say to you as you were preparing to board your plane to North Korea? The situation was a bit different. I had previously gone to Margot Honecker because I had been doing a big worldwide exhibition for UNICEF on the occasion of the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which was adopted by the UN General Assembly in 1989. They had put together 2,300 exhibitions in all languages of the world, also for, as I remember, South Korea. I wanted to bring this exhibition to East Germany and had all the UNICEF documents and had this idea that this should also be shown in our schools. I wanted these rights for the children, which East Germany had also signed up for in this convention, and came to Mrs. Honecker and offered it for the edification of all children in our schools. Here are the documents, we can save a lot of money and could get this printed. That's why I went to see her. At that time, Margaret Honecker was the only one in this huge party apparatus who would wave to me during events, who would come to my exhibition, so the, the only one who reacted. One has to imagine it this way. When you attend party conferences as a photographer and you're there and photograph it, the Politburo, the power, just stands there and nobody, uh, they're stiff, they, they are so unmoving and don't really make contact with you. Margaret Honecker was very charming. That's why I thought she's a likable woman and that's why I went to her. Unfortunately, she did not react. 
of course I know that because East Germany did not adhere to the convention. There was just an empty promise. But what I can't forget is that when she asked me what I would do next, of course I told her about it with excitement. I was curious to come to North Korea and would go there again today and would be just as curious. And she said, you will visit a beautiful country with beautiful people and Kim Il-sung is a wise man. Because Margaret Honecker told me that she had been there with her husband and had taken a vacation or had been invited and she knew the country. Now, I understand that uh, during your uh, eight days in North Korea, you shot more than 100 rolls of film, uh, but never released or published any of them. Was that because of the shock that you experienced in uh, North Korea? That was because of my shock. I could not support this. I'm a photographer who photographs with engagement and I have a position. And what I experienced in North Korea, the godlike worship of Kim Il-sung, the leader, the wisest, this insanity of the masses, I saw when he entered the huge sports arena when he went to his seats, his throne, how people were screaming and screaming and turned hysterical and ecstatic, like a god. I also saw all the guards, the police, the secret police who all kept an eye on us. When one stood in front of his statue, they had painted it brown. It seemed it used to be golden, but that was too blinding, so you couldn't look at it, so they painted it. Everything that was happening there was so terrible, I could not support it. However, I could also not express my opinion in the GDR, since this was officially a brother nation. And with that, I could not have published these photos anyway, and could only have published lies or the enthusiasm and would have made myself part of the ideology and with Margaret Honecker's thoughts. It suddenly struck me that what Margaret Honecker had said as the wife of our general secretary what they were thinking, that may also be our own future. I was horrified and also greatly disappointed. It was a big turning point in my thinking and my hopes about what was socialism, what was good, were gone. I would like to correct one thing. Socialism, that is of course a wonderful idea and I was dreaming and had a belief that it could become reality. But unfortunately, humans are not able to. It's utopia. It has taken me a long time to realize this. It's been hard. And now I recognize it and I have experienced my own big disappointment. What, what did you see in the faces of the people there? How did they look different from other people around the world? I'm a people photographer, so I'm a humanist. And therefore, my photos were appreciated in the GDR and were trusted by the rest of the world. I tried to look deep there as well but people are so fanatical even children already children are my big theme i should have found curiosity openness but most of all curiosity they are unburdened and to photograph that shows the future it's the hope in the eyes of children but in the eyes of those children there were only screams hysteria they were like puppets they had already been exploited. You could see it in their mass demonstrations, in the images at the stadium where children, just school kids, I was told, were trained to hold up colored pieces of cardboard and flip them on command. It's gigantic. There's movement, riding horses, blooming flowers. They show texts and the audience is like, whoa. So the idea was instead of teaching children something, they spent months on such propaganda as puppets and 
everything only for praising the great wise leader. To only have this on their mind, that's incredible. Did you feel that the children were afraid of foreigners? Of course, that's what I mean. They are afraid. They don't even have any curiosity. That had already been driven out of them as children, as small children. Curiosity is the most important thing for children, to be open and to approach someone. I've been to slums in this world where people are afraid of others. I go there with my cameras, but people are mistrustful, bad. They are aggressive towards you. They don't want you to come there and photograph their poverty. But the children approach you and are like, who's coming here? They are my motivation. And then people in these slums opened their doors because they saw that I was playing with the kids, that I have emotions. But the children in North Korea, you go there as a foreigner and what are they doing? They suddenly start singing battle songs. Battle songs, it's terrible. Did you see any older people there at the festival? That was another issue for me. I am seeing only young people. I'm not seeing any old ones. And I know that I had mentioned this in the apartments where we were staying and had asked, man, I don't see any. Where are the old people? And suddenly, I know how this works. An employee at the embassy had told me the elevator operator understands German. They are all listening. And we were warned by our tour leaders absolutely not to talk inside our hotel rooms because everything was bugged and not to trust anyone. Imagine that. That's how we were informed in advance by our own people. So they listened to us and suddenly... Two older women with the Korean flag kept walking back and forth in front of the place where we were staying. I photographed them. So they reacted and showed us that they're old people too. Uh, tell us about the festival itself. What kind of organized formal activities did you witness or take part in? That's another thing. Everything was organized. There was nothing spontaneous, nothing on the streets. Like when you walk around and someone approaches you, Nobody approached us and talked to us like at the festival in Berlin or in other countries. People there talked to you and approached you and also showed kindness or insult you, also possible. But that's not how it was. Uh, they all walked by us when we were gathering and they just stood there and giggled. Our youth wanted to have fun and dance and you could see there was a shy kind of fear. They all had that big badge of Kim Il-sung on their chest. To see that, that was unimaginable for us. And then there was an official meeting with Kim Il-sung, for example. You had to witness that. Seven, five Lincoln limousines, American cars with mirrored windows. So there was this caravan of cars coming. And why? Suddenly, Kim Il-sung got out of one of these cars. He was lifted out of it. He was afraid. Uh, but people love him. He's the father of the country. He's God. But he's driving with five cars, always in a different one, because you can't see inside with the mirrored windows. Did you travel outside Pyongyang? Did you go to the border between North and South Korea? Of course, I remember that we were taken to the border by train and getting on the train with the windows covered with white paint. Uh, so we went by train and it must have gone to Kaesong. We could not look outside. We raced through train station and there may have been people standing there or not. We couldn't see much outside. Of course, I scratched a hole into the paint because I wanted to see something. I looked outside and saw the landscape and saw the fields and the poor villages. 
There is no joy to discover. There's nothing. People had to leave the train station, so we drove through empty train stations. I can't really imagine that, because train stations are always busy with people getting on and off the train. But we raced through there and arrived at the border, the demarcation line, and they showed it to us. And how did that border between the two Koreas compare to the border between the two Germanys? Well, this menacing border, you could see that it was similar to ours. But we had a nice wall that you could look at, though from the eastern side, from our side, you couldn't get very close. It was always a restricted area. From the other side, which I also have visited during my travels and photographed, you could get very close and see how terrible it looked. It seemed like our wall and you couldn't really see our border area because five kilometers was a restricted area. In North Korea, we couldn't see the wall either, but I had seen documentaries and at the border how protected it was. And in the end, it was the same thing. These are borders between two systems, not between two countries. And that's the difference you have to consider. That's also what our border was. It was not just a border between East and West Germany. Uh, but a border between two systems, and it had global importance. After eight days in uh, North Korea, did you feel that this was a communist country, a brother socialist state? Nobody thought that anymore afterwards. That wasn't a brother state. Even though it already wasn't going very well in the GDR either, we returned home with much more confidence because such a kind of communism, we nobody would have ever wanted, and we were shocked. Was everybody in your delegation of the same opinion, or were there some people who spoke up and said, no, everything's fine in North Korea, everything's okay here? I don't think so. I can't remember that anyone returned home full of excitement. Only Margaret Honecker had this opinion. Not even Egon Krenz or our other leading officials were excited when they returned. They were also glum. They didn't say that, but they showed how they felt. You noticed it. That wasn't something we even had to talk about. When you went back to Germany after your visit, what did you do with all the photos and negatives that you took? I kept them to myself and am only now publishing them as a warning and as one of my life experiences. I'm holding many exhibitions in our country and other countries and I've repeatedly been asked to also show and talk about the photos that I have taken in North Korea. It's also a big topic in my memoirs, my big, big, big disappointment. Has that, been, uh, has that exhibition also traveled to uh, South Korea or will it travel to South Korea? I haven't received an offer yet. I'm now holding a big exhibition in Berlin on the occasion of my 80th birthday. In November, I'm exhibiting my photos of the Vietnam War in Hanoi and then in Saigon. I'm also exhibiting in Austria, in Italy and in Germany. I have some big exhibitions in preparation this and next year. So I'm trying. It's my duty. I have taken these pictures and it's not just North Korea. There are other experiences that I've had. Chile during Allende's rule, I photographed in Africa. So I've gained a lot of world experience during my 50 years of work and I'm trying to pass something on by telling about my experiences and disappointments. I did not just photograph for myself, I also wanted to do something and educate. That's why I'm happy if I get to exhibit and publish. You said that you uh, present these photos of North Korea as a warning. Uh, what kind of, well, what are you warning about or against? 
I want to warn against dogmatism, delusion, false ideals, and this kind of isolation. I'm for an open world, I'm a cosmopolitan, and I want to warn people. When you walk through North Korea, I'm reminded of East Germany. It, it wasn't comparable, but the banners you're seeing there on every corner with tanks threatening with rockets, destroying the enemy. I want to warn against the ideological rabble-rousing and hatred that we have also started to experience in our country. I'm for worldwide communication, knowledge, experiences, learning how to come together instead of sitting apart. In 2009, I spent two days in Seoul and I couldn't even take pictures fast enough. I didn't have enough time, but I enjoyed it because I always had the images of North Korea's capital on my mind. Have you had any desire to go back to North Korea since your visit there 30 years ago? I would wholeheartedly like to do that, but I'm sure that I would not be a welcome guest due to my public activities in Germany. Now, you've been kind enough to share a couple of your photos with NK News before the interview. First of all, could you tell us about the photos that you shared with us? For example, what do their photos show or, or what's uh, significant about them to you? Sure, there's this one photo where these girls are walking towards you, young girls, and they're singing and none of them looks at you. I've already told you the story. You have to imagine it like this. I'm photographing and I'm walking around alone, something that wasn't even allowed. Between the houses, there are these concrete walls that are layered so you can't look into the backyards. Those were side screens. Can you imagine that? If you don't know this, you won't notice. In the photo, you can see these concrete walls and you can pass through between them, but they're screens. So I walked through those and these girls are coming towards me and suddenly they start singing and none of them looks at me while they walk by. There was simple fear and everything was under surveillance. And they even built these concrete walls in between houses so nobody can see the lives of the people behind them. The photo with Kim Il-sung, that's the story I told you, that he came to see our delegation and was lifted up the stairs and was seated and then was told something and then he left again and was carried away. What I saw there was a mummy. I guess that's what he was already. These people constantly plucked lint off him. And at the great stadium during the final event, I was seated higher and could look down at him where he sat in a separate lounge. How they cleaned everything beforehand, how they checked everything with white gloves and checked his seat again to make sure there's no lint anywhere. And then the god arrived and they rushed around him and plucked something again and did something with his hair. And during all that, the whole stadium was booming and shaking because everyone was screaming like crazy and standing on the tips of their toes. There were also these demonstrations where the people of the world paraded along the streets. People were lined up on the sides and there was something that I noticed that really started me. The cheering was no cheering. There's no curiosity. It was just screaming. And every once in a while they had drummers and when the vehicles arrived and the delegates that were marching and waving towards the people, the drummers started drumming and everyone started screaming and waving artificial flowers. And when I started photographing the eyes of the children, they were just screaming, but with empty faces. They've learned that, the screaming. They've been trained and they can play the piano when they are three and they can play the violin and stand on the street in the rain and play the violin. But once it's over, they stop immediately. There were always someone with microphones that screamed at other people. When we saw the images after Kim Il-sung's death and saw how people were crying, these screaming cries, it makes you shudder. As a humanist, it's unbearable. 
Wirklichkeit als, als Humanist ertragen. Uh, will you be publishing or have you already published a book of your photos? I have a photo book, Thomas Billhardt Fotografie. It's sold out now, but I still have it. I've published more than 70 photo books over the course of my life, but most recently there's been one big picture book about my entire life. And uh, there are my memoirs, Thomas Billhardt, Adventures with the Camera. There are also catalogs about my exhibitions. In your most recent uh, photo book, are there some of these photos that you took in North Korea or have they not yet been published? My photo books also contain pictures of North Korea. Fantastic. Well, we, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for your generosity with your time today. Uh, it's been very interesting to hear uh, your experiences uh, there in 1989 and we hope that you continue to uh, travel with this exhibition around the world and let people see uh, what it was like then. Wonderful. Thank you so much and uh, yeah, I wish you uh, a long and happy and healthy life. Thank you, Christ. involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.